Hello, it's Danny Howell back again, your host of Tales from Southern Indiana. This uh, episode, I wanted to talk about television. Always a favorite subject, but in this case, I was um, uh, curious about sort of the history of television in my hometown or home county in uh, Lawrence County, Southern Indiana, from an article that I found from 1953 about my father, who was, uh, was announcing, was appointed to be the... um, head of the appliance department uh, in terms of Philco televisions for operation and repair in a store that I'd never actually heard of called GAC Distributing Company. At any rate, um, televisions, uh, as it occurred to me, were most of the things I just remembered as a kid of uh, things where the uh, picture tube kept going out and getting picture narrower and narrower and you had to turn sideways to watch it and all that stuff but uh, my father did sell them so I got to wondering about just things like how expensive they were and what sort of the history of them was uh, in there I noticed an ad around the same time period um, for a television that sold for gosh like five hundred dollars a piece Um, there was an article about a fire in 1953 in a garage uh, at um uh, what was called Charlotte Motor Courts in my hometown in Mitchell. And it said that uh, volunteers and neighbors rushed to the scene of the fire to save five television consoles. <laughs> no worry, people in there or not, but they saved the televisions, each of whom, each of which retailed for $500 a piece. Now, $500 a piece in 1953, that's about $2,000 in today's dollars. And I have no idea who in Mitchell, Indiana had $2,000 to spend on a console television, but there were five of them. They expected to sell them, and thankfully, the um, fire did not destroy or even harm the televisions. It did merely, however, singe the boxes that they were in. I did mention that um, although the TVs were saved a, and a soapbox derby racer was saved, the wheels of the racer were lost as were a number of other aspects of furniture in there, including pieces of uh, living room furniture, garden implements, and some other things. But the good news is the televisions lived on to um, serve uh, folks who were really just uh, starting to get interested in the state of TV in 1953. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of programming back then. As I recall, one of the favorite shows I, I would have watched in the late 1950s as a little boy was called Ding Dong School. And, uh, it's about as intelligent as it sounds. And there were things like, you know, the Mickey Mouse Club and all that, but not like we have today with 10 million channels and all sorts of things to watch. So at any rate, I was nosing around, as I want to do lately in these old newspapers, and I found that um, the very first commercial television that was uh, ever sold in the United States, which was called the Western Visionette, there was a display of uh, one of these televisions in 1932 on, I guess, Main Street in my hometown. And folks didn't quite know what to make of it. They'd never seen a television like that before. So there was an article in the local paper announcing that there was a machine that brings in pictures from stations at a great distance. And it said that something akin to the eerie feeling, which might be expected during a spirit manifestation, can be detected while watching the machine, called the, uh, again, the Visionette, as it forms images on the screen in front of you, the likenesses of persons hundreds of miles away as they move about in the station. 
so there's something almost uncanny as faces suddenly appear out of nowhere or a faraway cartoonist draws a sketch um, which a little machine picks out to on the mysterious screen and retraces for you. So this was a, this was a set which would have uh, sold in 1932 at the height of the Depression for around $100, which again would be a lot of money in today's dollars, think around 1200 bucks or so. And who in the world, in the middle of southern Indiana where there weren't any jobs anyway, had uh, the equivalent of $1,200 to spend at the height of the Depression on a television set that you could just barely see. The screen was about as big as a maybe a large wristwatch screen these days. And it was in a big wooden box, and uh, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, broadcasting going on in 1932, I'll tell you that. But they mentioned that you could tune in a concert on the radio and then turn the television on. You could watch, not maybe hear, but watch the orchestra play the music. And it sounds incredibly boring to me, but again, this stuff had never been seen before, so neighbors would come and gather, and people actually stood on Main Street looking through the store window, watching demonstrations of this strange new ghostly machine. Now, as televisions went forward, um, they continued to be quite expensive, I see. Now, so on in 1957, for a Philco console television that cost $220, that also would be around 2000 bucks today. I looked these up, otherwise I wouldn't know. It was a 21-inch screen, so they got quite a bit bigger, quite a bit bigger by then. It's a no-down payment, no payments till next year, and you have two years to pay this sucker off. Um, okay, that's, that's, you know, a, a big piece of not only time, but money invested in new technology. Uh, the, um, uh, it, it, the, <laughs> The, the, the store, by the way, that had this Visionette store, uh, TV on display in 1932, the name of the store was Chitty Hardware. You have to be careful how you pronounce Mr. Chitty's name. And um, he tried to explain how the whole thing worked. It did come in a couple of components, one of which was a, uh, a revolving front disc, which he bought separately from the rest of the neon tube of the television. A whole strange notion of how they got started there. And so... I happened across, and I really was surprised at this, a 1930 lengthy article um, in um, the, two, the paper from the county seat of Lawrence County, the Bedford Daily Times Mail, and a headline was Youth Proves to be Genius, which would be news all on itself in southern Indiana, any, any genius had ever been discovered. But it said it had to do with television. So then Indiana Farm Boy startles the world with radio television inventions and the Crowley Radio Corporation has offered him $1 million in cash and half a million dollars a year for the rest of his life uh, for his world-famous radio television genius and inventions. So the offer is one of about 75 offers that this farm boy has received from companies all over the world, uh, Young Patrick's name, that many of these corporations have already sent technicians to see the television set that he invented in action and all pronounce it as the most amazing thing in this line of experimentation. But in 1930, TV's a whole new thing. The, the um, final arrangements for the big deal are up to Ross Crowley, the president of the Crowley Corporation. He's coming to the Patrick home in Edinburgh, Indiana, in person to bring the million dollars in cash and the royalty agreement of half a million dollars a year. Patrick has not definitely accepted the offer, but has seven lawyers. 
All right, now, there weren't even seven lawyers in Lawrence County, so we had to go somewhere to get all these folks. And why seven turned out to be the magic number, we don't know. Um, Hundreds of offers would allow him to live a life of ease and luxury, and invitations have been extended to study, experiment, and convene with world-famous engineers all over the world for little Patrick. Patrick said, after I get my million dollars, I'm going to take a tour of the world. Six months ago, I never dreamed I'd ever make a cent on this set. I made it just as a hobby. Electrical experimentation has always been my hobby. His other project apparently was a a living creature made from uh, dead body parts. Uh, At any rate, to the genius, it says, is working on 11 other inventions, all of which are enshrouded in the same uncanny mystery that surrounds the television set. One of these inventions he doesn't wish to be circulated, but it will positively revolutionize the automobile industry if one can rely on what this expert technician says. So everyone is dumbfounded at his abilities, and folks are just going crazy about him. We may have to do a whole other episode about this fellow, because I've never really read anything like this about anybody from southern Indiana. But, uh, you know, television, for me, um, was interesting as a young man, because I got a call when I was in college. I got a call from a marketing company that was hired by the local public television station to do a, um, a focus group on public TV. And so they called me. And uh, at that time, my only television had a uh, broken VHF selector, so only the UHF selector worked, which means I only got one station, which was the public TV station. So I got this call one day, and the the person calling from the marketing company said, do you watch public television? I said, yes. So they said, we'd like you to come down on a certain night, and some other folks will be there, and you can answer various questions about public TV, and we'll give you $20, which was a lot of money then, not a little money now. So I came down and uh, there was a, uh, a marketing person and about nine folks who'd been invited to come and talk with them. And it was a circular table. We were all sitting around and I was sitting next to the person who was conducting the interviews, but they started on the other end. They went all around the circle. The first question was, why do you watch public TV? And folks had all kinds of answers. I want my children to be exposed to culture. I like the opera, uh, various you know, British programs got around to me. I said, it's the only channel I get. They took out the $20 and handed it to me and said, thank you very much. We don't need you anymore. <laughs> now, the other interaction I had with television marketing, I guess, or the television business in any fashion was some years after that, I got a call asking if I wanted to be a Nielsen family. I didn't actually have a family, but they didn't ask that question. They said, how many televisions do you own? I said, seven. I had seven television sets just for me. So they said, we'll send you one book for each set and keep a record of what shows are watched for each television. And so they sent me seven Nielsen's family's books. And um, I, at the time, was a fan of the Red Green Show, which was only shown on one of the obscure public television stations in Maryland and only at 1230 at night on a Saturday. So it didn't have a big viewership, but I wanted to boost the viewership ratings, and so I filled all seven books out, showing that seven televisions in my home were all tuned in to the Red Green Show at 12.30 at night on a Saturday, and probably shot the ratings up like crazy for that show until finally they didn't want me to be a Nielsen family anymore. Maybe they had heard that I was just one person with seven TVs. Who knows? So, you know, there's all sorts of ways to just kind of interact with history a little bit. Television ultimately became, my gosh, just uh, something that um, I have a hard time avoiding and don't really want to avoid it a lot of times. But in the early history of TV, 
There wasn't much to see, but people were fascinated by trying to see it, and apparently, someone in the middle of southern Indiana who just liked playing around with electronics um, made a million bucks. So anything can happen in this country, and, uh, and, it, and it often does. As always, thanks for listening. Appreciate it, and talk to you later.